0: I never saw entrepreneurialism and farming being necessarily connected early on in my life. Mm. I do now, obviously, but more just, I think that there was a reverence for it that I thought, yeah, this is, without this part of life, what's the point? I mean, you've got to have connection to this.
1: That was Adam Gibson, and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey.
2: Here at The Regenerative Journey, we know that good health is related to good food and good practices, but understand that sometimes the right food choices are quite hard to put into place. But our good buddy, Cindy O'Meara at the Nutrition Academy is helping people break old habits to create a much healthier lifestyle. So in support of what she's doing, we're offering a $100 discount to all our listeners. Simply enroll in their functional nutrition course and enter the coupon CHARLIE100, that's CHARLIE100, the Nutrition Academy. Say goodbye to old food habits and hello to a much healthier, happier life.
1: We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to country, culture, community, land, sea and sky. And we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.
2: G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an eighth-generational Australian regenerative farmer. And in this podcast series, I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life.
1: Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host, Charlie Arnott.
2: Quick plug for our workshops coming up in December. Uh, the first one is at, at the farm at Byron Bay in the Northern uh, Rivers of New South Wales on the second and third of December, and then our next one is the next week, seventh and eighth of December at the at Hanamino here at Burrower in the South of Slopes of New South Wales. It's our two day introduction to biodynamics course. Uh, theory in the morning, practical in the afternoon. It's two days. Jump on charliearnott.com.au, the events page there, to book your tickets. Sneak these workshops in before the end of the year, before the festive season, and uh, hope to see you there. And this week on The Regenerative Journey I'll be speaking with Adam Gibson, uh, whom I met through a uh, Sourdough Business Pathways um, lunch we were both mentors in a business program. Um, our, our, my experience and his interest in regenerative agriculture brought us together um, and has has done in a number of different ways over the last few years, and it was wonderful to sit with Adam at his, his uh, small farm there, Binnaburra in northern New South Wales. Um, we talked about his um, early days as a, a um, self-prescribed gym junkie and gym owner um business coach uh and and his deep dive now into regenerative agriculture in the sort of the economic, the finance side of it, as well as owning owning his little farm where he's he's doing a wonderful job at creating a sanctuary for his 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 own family. Um really good yarns. We went everywhere. It's a long one but so worth the listen. Um and I hope you enjoy uh, this interview with Adam Adam Gibson as much as I did. Adam Gibson, this is your regenerative journey. Well, you're going to tell me in a minute. Um, mate, welcome to the regenerative journey.
0: Thanks, Charlie. Glad to be here finally with you.
2: Oh, no, I've been talking yeah. about it for some time. And um, we're sitting amongst oh, – hang on. What do you want? My first question, straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us where we are and, and I guess, uh, why, why is it special to you? Why have you sort of guided me, guided me to this spot mm-hmm. to do this interview?
0: This is, we're in Binnaburra, which is just outside of Bangalore near Byron Bay, in the hinterland, and uh, we're sitting under a magnificent fig tree, which is mm-hmm. a white fig, and it's, it's a very unusual one around here. I think it's indigenous to the area, but it's a, a very old tree, beautiful spreading, yeah, it looks like a fig tree, big spreading uh, branches, but it also drops its leaves in winter, and it's deciduous. So That's it's un, unusual, isn't it? Very, yeah. But this tree is also the heart of this property. It's right bang centre in the middle of everything. So this little spot here, we've got four dwellings on this place. Don't mention it the council, but, um,
2: you know. <laughs> but <we've got laughs> unless, some... unless they're on their own regenerative journey. there. Yeah, exactly. they're, they're not going to be listening to this. I'll just spin this, I'll just spin this around so that our viewers can see the, mag- the magnificence of that tree. Look at that. It is a, it yeah. is a cracking tree and we we hold workshops here don't
0: we yeah so this is where we run biodynamic workshops and and this is really the gathering place in the property so it's a beautiful place just to we we spend so much time here under the tree and it's sort of in between all the all the houses and all the dwellings and right in the
2: center of it all so it's a it's a lovely spot any time of year and why i mean why been why this block what what does it mean when you step out in the morning or go, you know or or sort of arrive home from work or you know what, what sort of sense of place does it sort of give you
0: yeah look I I left uh with my family left Sydney when I was about eight years old lived in the city Bondi kind of back before Bondi was you know what it is now mm. and um went to Queensland and my dad said we'll move to Queensland no you don't want to go but we're gonna go buy a bit of small farm live in the bush gonna get a horse you know live that live that life and I said right I'm in and I was lucky enough to grow up like that I had this beautiful experience growing up just in the bush out towards Ipswich out of Brisbane, western suburbs. Nothing flashed, you know, one bus a week kind of thing into town. It was a very, very quiet little place, mm. but running around the bush just and growing food and just being connected to, you know, I mean, jumping on a horse when we needed to, that kind of thing, was just a great way to grow up as a kid. And I was always certain that, you know, even though I was a, I was a city dweller for many years as an adult, as a single man, but after I got married and decided we are going to have kids, I knew I had to come back to the bush. And um, this part of the world really appealed to me. Long before it got too trendy, it was just just beautiful in itself. It's just a beautiful emerald part of the world, which is not far from the beach and um, has some great red soil, good culture. And this is what I wanted for my children to grow up on.
2: When you moved from Sydney, was there um, <clears throat> was it because... Your your father said, you know, had he he'd been a bushy, and he went, I've got to go back. Was he having his own little bit of a return to Eden?
0: No, my old man was a, a fitter and turner from the north of England, so he's not a bushy. He's the opposite. Um, yeah. But he, um, excuse me, he uh, he had a job transfer, and it was just part of what we always resonated with the thought of you know going to the bush and being in a horse. I was always a cowboy as a kid, so I think that was a connection. <laughs> I always wanted to be a cowboy.
2: <laughs> For those who, unless we see it, actually we probably will see it, there's a couple of nags walking around the, the, the yard here, isn't there? Like there the, is. The garden. Yeah, it so was... I finally <laughs> achieved my dream. I having a couple of horses on the place, They're not like sort of stuck in a stable. They're just like roaming, yeah. eating whatever they're they're they were. They're free range. Yeah. Oh, totally. Don't be eating those ones, though. <clears throat> um, so, and, and do you think you're, I mean – I mean, it's kind of a crazy question, but, I mean, if you hadn't gone to that farm, what, 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 what role did you get being on a farm at that age, eight to what? So you moved when you were eight and you mm-hmm. left the farm when what? you were? Uh, when I was 17, 18 and moved. Yeah, okay, so know, some so, pretty yeah. pretty yeah. Um, formative years. Oh, right. what, what, what role did that, being a farm boy, being a cowboy, what, what role, where, where did it, you know, because you didn't go farming straight after that, did you?
0: No, I was in the city for a long time. But it was, it was just an inherent connection with nature. An appreciation, I would call it, more than an even connection. I wouldn't use that language back then. But I just loved it. I just loved the bush. I loved the, the feeling of being out in nature and just appreciating it. And, you know, running down the creek, catching yabbies, jumping on a horse bareback. And um, my first business, Charlie, was growing strawberries and selling them down to the local fruit shop when I was eight, eight and a half year old. Nice. That was my first foray into business. Mm-hmm. My second I end of business was trying to find a job at local chicken farms in the area. You know, in the, the you know the kids at twelve years old going get the job pulling um the dead chooks out of the battery hen cages and all that kind of thing.
2: And have your father yeah. suggested you do those things, or you just went, "Oh, I got to get a bit of coin." No, I needed some money, so I thought i will go find some jobs. <laughs> Did you know <laughs> yeah. what you were your money on? Yeah, I got. I
0: was going to. A, I was going <laughs> cigarettes. to cigarettes. A... <laughs> no, I was in the scouts, and we'd, there was a scout jamboree coming up, and yeah. I wanted to to get to that, so that the, the entrepreneur in me got born at that point because what happened was I went looking for a job to get to this scout jamboree. I remember I needed 400 bucks. I was 11 years old. And that's all I needed was 400 back then because that was like... it's a lot of money what, back then. It was. It was, what, 40 <laughs> odd years ago. I mean, you're, you're yeah. 75.
2: I mean, that's, you'd have been in pounds and, <laughs> back in the old pounds days. <laughs> and pennies back then.
0: But I, uh, I couldn't get a job. I was too young. Yeah. And after about the fifth chicken shed owner said, mate, come back when you're 16 or 14 or whatever it was back then. Child labor was a bit more permissible, but not at 11. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, I said, well, okay, I'll come back for the, the job then. But in the meantime, what are you doing with that big pile of chicken shit you got in the, in the yard? And he said, oh, nothing. It sits there and rots. I said, well, can I have it? He said, mate, you can have as much as you want. Mm. So I put my scout hat on, me and mate, and we knocked on every door in, a, in the new little subdivision that had just opened up in this little backwards area of western Brisbane, mm. western suburbs, and all the new gardens. We're getting... Out the front, we sold bags of chicken poo and said, "You know, we're with the scouts. We're raising money to get to the jamboree." That bit
2: was a. It, it was, was kind, of, kind of truthful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it, it was representative <laughs> of the truth, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and we made a lot of money. You so were
2: we, very resourceful putting on your scout uniform, I, and then it was a salesman in me <laughs> right from the beginning. <laughs> but that was
0: it was interesting. <clears> we raised some, We raised more than enough to get to a jamboree. I so
2: you reckon you would have
0: made uh, four hundred bucks, and we realised that you know, there was money in. Did you have in, to bag it poop. up too? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there yeah.
2: was was all of it was. We, it wasn't though. You go, hey, this is a voucher for a bag of chicken no, shit. Yeah. You go and bag it down the road. We had
0: to bag it, <coughs> and uh, we 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 kind of um, appropriated some bags from the local council depot that yeah. didn't need them as much as we did, and um, <laughs> we bagged it up, and then we um, got the old men, the, our fathers, to drive around the trailer on a Saturday to deliver it. So that there's a well, contribution. Did you no, pay, great. Did you pay then?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> that was coercion <laughs> right there. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So the, there was there was a pretty solid grounding in country life, appreciation, nature. You know, and I guess that's interesting that that spawned entrepreneurialism as well. Yeah. Because mm. there was there was something that, there was resources that could be. Repurposed. Yeah,
0: and to be clear, I wasn't. We, yeah, I, it was it wasn't a farm. It was a bush block. It was yeah. a bush, you know. Um, so I never saw. I never saw entrepreneurialism and farming being necessarily connected early on in my life. Mm. Which I do now, obviously, but it's more just. I think that yeah, it was. A, there was a reverence for it that I thought. Yeah, this is without this part of life. What's the point? You know? I mean, you got to have connection to this. There's mm. this knowledge in me for that.
2: And that was some innate little thing that some some. It clearly, an attraction because I mean I know a lot of kids who you know grew up in farms or bush block type situations. No connection, you know. They just they're there. It's like oh bloody! I've got to go feed the chickens or I've got to shovel chicken shit. You know, there's mm. not the. It's a, I guess it's a whole different perspective. I guess appreciation.
0: We, we had a you know? bunch of we had a bunch of mates live down the yeah five k down the road who were in this little housing subdivision mm. suburban spat. Right? and um, so we all went to school together. But we're in the bush, and I say we, me and a few other mates on similar properties. And they were in these little suburban blocks. They were mm. pretty boring. There wasn't much going on back then. There was no iPads and no, you know, the TV was three channels, whatever it was. There wasn't much happening in the region. There was no culture really happening. It was all a new estate. But we had the best time living rurally. Mm. We were on motorbikes, we were on horses, and we were in the creek, and we had always something to do. Mm. The kids in the in the suburbs were bored out of their brain, mm. and they used to get quite jealous. So they were, I don't know, <laughs> that's how it seemed to me. It was pretty straightforward. It's got, you're in the bush; you got something to do. It was there. It, it was, was there for you.
2: Yeah. Um, so teen, teenage years in the bush block. Any sort of you know significant moments in your adolescence, juvenile years that were you know you, you could put down to a bit of a turning point or a um, a, a real challenge that you met or learnt something from.
0: Look. Nothing specific, other than I think going to school. I got I got a scholarship to a you know one of these GPS type schools out of Ipswich, which, which I appreciated deeply at the time because you know my old man's a fitter and turner, so it was a big deal to get to a good school. Um, and he he encouraged me to do that. And he was very supportive of it. And I'm grateful for it. But it it also taught me I didn't really fit into the system as such. Um, and I always remember going and looking through these careers books, which were pretty boring back in our day. <laughs> they were like you oh. want to be an accountant, a plumber, or you know. They're they're very generic. And I thought, I don't want to do anything here. There's Mm -hmm. nothing here that appeals to me. And nowhere did it say you can go and be a business owner. You you know, there was nowhere that said, go be an entrepreneur, make your own money. So that understanding of the, I guess, the lack of space in the system for free thinking and disruptive thought and the ability to be, you know, truly free in your decision making just, just really stuck with me. And I always looked for alternatives from that point forward and found ways through things differently and asked different questions. And that's what, been a skill set that stayed with me, I think.
2: Well, what, again, what, what what might have been the the, the the catalyst or the impetus to think that way, you know, as opposed to going, oh, yeah, here's the book, I'm going to be a dentist, and then do I get the marks, yes or no, um, what's plan B? And, and, you know, think more um, vocationally or, or professionally or whatever, as opposed to a more general view of, well, I want to be able to have the skills to apply to anything I do. Was there I, any sort of, I, was the odd man of that way, you know? Look,
0: I, I've just had, I, I can't answer exactly other than saying, I just have this deep, deep part of me that knows we've got, A, there's a low tolerance for boredom. I really get bored easy. Oh, yeah. I like for life to be exciting and interesting.
2: I'll try and keep this uh, interview upbeat, mate. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Is that my water, by the way? <laughs> That's your water. <laughs> okay. And, um, But
0: secondly, that was a warning (laughs) for me. Not very subtle. Yeah, um, low tolerance for boredom, but also just the recognition that you know we're on a limited time frame here on this earth, Mm. and I've always felt that. I've always been aware of you know there's a the the, the clock's kind of ticking, and um, make the most of it. So to me, it was the impetus is really to be expanding, growing, learning, hungry for hungry to grow and learn and just (laughs) discover. And I think what's always intrigued me is this idea of the potential of human beings, the potential of ideas, the potential of businesses, and when you mash all those things together, what something can become rather than mm-hmm. what it is. That's what mm. – is is, is, I think it's just innate. I mean, I see that there's a part of me that sees that above – sometimes above seeing the harsh reality of it, mm. is I can see the potential of things and see the potential of people um, and in businesses. So it doesn't mean I always have the, the skills to bring it out necessarily. And It's not saying I've got a crystal ball, but, you know, I, I tune into that more than I tune into what's gone before.
2: Well, I mean, it's a great starting point to have that that um, that viewpoint or that perspective, isn't it? You know, because that's, I mean, because if you know, we know people, we uh, you know, and I'm sure at times I certainly have not had that viewpoint, and you're looking for the negatives. You look, you know, you, you got your black hat on eighty percent mm. of the time.
0: Yeah, and in, in certain areas of life, I guess I'd probably do the same. But um, certainly with business and people and where we go, that's that's you know, I've been working now as a business coach for you know, 20-odd years, and that's it's the guts of it, that's the foundation of it is I can mm. see into the potential of it and we work or speak to that potential and explore on that level, on that edge of where the potential is rather than buy into, you know, what your fears and limitations are. What if we could remove those fears and limitations and see what was there? Mm. What if you removed this is how we've always done something and then see what was there and available from that point forward?
2: I want to get back to that. <coughs> Thank you for that little prompt, Adam. Mm. Um, teenager, not, not, uh, not seeing the world as others may have been at that time in their lives, in terms of from a career point of view. Giving the career advisor the bird. Um, what, what happened after school? I, had, um, I was convinced by my mum to go to university mm.
0: for a short while. Before I got asked to leave, was that the end, was that the end of my week? It had a very short lifespan. <laughs> um, what, were you, what, what did your mother convince you to do? Do it, you she, anything would have been an answer, oh, but, really. But I, yeah, with the best intentions, don't grow up. But I, um, I was lucky in, and also bold insofar as um, I was, one of my great passions that was passed on to me as a kid through my dad was bodybuilding and powerlifting and weight training. Sure. So. Um, and you might not look at it. Look at me now. You might not realise
2: this. But <laughs> oh, mate, I can see. I can see the foundational work. You <laughs> don't lose <laughs> that. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen your trophies. <laughs> I haven't seen <laughs> your photos yet. I'm a bit scared. I'll, about I'll that. bring them out if
0: you like. Yeah, well, we do. <laughs> we do well, well,
2: we do do this this part when we do the promo of each episode. We do. We do do a bit of. Um, we ask the, our guest to sort of furnish us with a few befores and afters, and you know, gotcha. previous previous lifetimes. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll see. You'll see a bit of muscle bound uh, macho Adam there somewhere.
0: It'll prove that you know the old saying that the older I get, older I get the better I was. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that goes pretty much goes <laughs> for all of us. Um, but look, but yeah. I was
0: lucky. I got out of school and I was training. You know, passionate into bodybuilding and, and the gym. And I, my dad and I were trained together um, at this one, the one hardcore gym that was in Brisbane at the time, which was an hour and a half away from school. But used to go there every mm-hmm. afternoon to. Being this culture and train, it was, you know, and I was built like a, you know, our root biscuit, um, so I wasn't, I wasn't exactly sure. well suited for it. That's very strong, an <laughs>
2: biscuits, whatever well, well, you know. it's paddle pop stick. I was skinny. I was more of a, a distance runner. <laughs> or as my mother would say, you look, like you look like a cat who's been eating lizards or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but as it happened, this gym, um, we at uni and this gym was about to go broke mm. and we had a chance to buy it for not a lot of money and um and rebuild it so i convinced my old man i said let's buy it together you sign off on the on the 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 uh, loan Mm. and we'll build this thing up we'll work it together so he at i don't know early 40s i guess decided to ditch his career and his corporate job and throw his lot in with this crazy idea and this crazy notion and we went in with a from a standing start from scratch and bought this heavy duty old bodybuilding gym which was like a dream come true for me yeah so I was very, very, and, and that's at the same time I was at uni, and I quickly left the uni because they said, "Look, you got to focus on uni." I said, "Why would I bother? I've got something I love to do."
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but I I was lucky insofar as it taught me this, Charlie, was that I was doing something in my life every day. I didn't make a lot of money initially, not for years. We didn't make any money. We made wages or made you know I got paid. I got paid literally in milk, right? Because it's we had milk in the fridge and I needed to eat and I was training and that, shit, you know, that and then I'd go and work as a bouncer not, on the weekends not, to make not, a living. Not skim milk. It was called shape milk. It was horrible stuff. Oh, but shape it was, yeah. Jake, That was the, yeah. the thing. That was the watery stuff. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Um, but I was very, very fortunate. I was aged 19 when that happened and I got to learn that um, after, I did some travel and stuff after school but my first go at really working into a business. And we did some long hours in there. It was mostly fun, but it was long hours and a bit of work to it. Mm. You know, I used to open at six in the morning, they would close at eight at night. So it was a long 14 hour day, but every single moment I was out. I loved it. I loved every part of it. Dad and I used to do it together. So this great bond with my dad. Um, and we had everything we talked about, did, we trained, we, we helped people train. We, everything was about the gym. And so work, and passion for me have been synonymous ever since. They Mm. they do not be separated. And I like I said, I don't care. I do I do care. But back then I really genuinely didn't care how much money I earned. Mm. It didn't matter to me. I just loved the fact this is what I get to do every day. Yeah. So that was baseline for me and it's been a big theme ever
2: since. That's a really important point. Is there given I mean you've mentioned you're a business coach, so Mm. I imagine that um, that notion of loving what you're doing is it, you know is that a, a cornerstone of what you teach or what you advise or how you sort of counsel business owners
0: i i think it's a, it's 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 very kind of popular now to use that as you know it's sort of a meme on facebook or whatever you want to call it but it's it's more than that for me it's a foundation because let's be honest the more you build a business that you actually don't like or doesn't feed you and fill your soul up with something or make you feel proud, or create a legacy, or whatever fills you. But if what you're doing every day inherently is not life affirming, or, or purpose affirming, or whatever you want to, you know, whatever New Age term you want to use, um, I don't inherently think it's going to. It's either the business won't be successful, or your life won't be, or both. So to me, it's in, it's just the fundamental. If you're not doing something which is fully in line with what you care about, mm. go choose something else. Your life's short do something that really matters to you. And that may require going against, you know, the narrative and the people in your life It might require going against, you know, losing money for a while or going backwards financially. But, but hey, you want to go backwards financially in terms of your life wellness and wellness life happiness and things. So that's a big one, I think. And that's when you get people in business who line up what they care about with their daily activities and their vision and their purpose and everything, and they go... I get up every morning because it's in line with what I care about. Mm. They don't. They don't need. They don't need much rustling up in the morning. They get up and go at it. You now there's an inherent motivation.
2: I guess the word congruence, you know, <coughs> kind of jumps to mind there.
0: It's yeah, congruence with you know when it all lines up, and it, and it creates that state of. Well, you don't need motivation if you're already excited about going doing what you got to do, even if it's a tough part of that particular task. You don't need to be pumped up from outside. It comes from within. And then, you know, the better the, the highest form of that is when you hit that flow state where, you know, your level of competency matches that you've just, just stretched on your competency level, but you're also in that sort of space where you're good at it and you lose a sense of time. Um, you know, I'm not expressing that well, but, you know, when you're really filling in the groove and in the flow, that's, that's what we look for. Those little moments in life are just worth everything.
2: <coughs> just on that flow state, mm-hmm. is, there, is, there, is there more to the flow state than timing? Um, you know, things fall into place. Um, and a positive kind of outlook. Is theres is there is there more? Because we've talked about you know, um, we sh- we share a, I guess a, a a common view on the world in the, a lot of the things you can't see. There's a lot of things out there you can't see, mm. and science can't mm. can't count or yeah. identify. You know, is there anything anything to add to that flow state? defining flow state, if, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is there mm. is there sort of more to it than than like the technical, all the stuff's happening the, at the same time and it's good?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of great books around flow and how to create that. So there is this, what I was searching for before, there's this state of competence, the level of competency um, is, is kind of matched with this the difficulty of the task. So there's this, anyway, but that's still not expressing it well. But I think... To answer your question, one of the best books and the understandings I have of the flow state is a guy called Gay Hendricks who wrote The Big Leap, which has been around for a long yeah. time. The Big Leap talks about levels of your, your ability to be incompetent in a different area, in a particular area of life, um, There's areas of life we know we're competent at, so we can kind of do them but better off getting someone else to do it, arguably. Then there's levels a level of things we've got to do in our lives that are around excellence. We're excellent at them. And we probably get paid to do that right now. You know, you can do it, but it doesn't necessarily light you up. But, you you know, everyone wants you to keep doing it because it serves the purpose. Mm. But as a subset of those things we need to do or as part of our business or our life, is a subset of things where our genius lies. And the genius is where our flow state happens and where our gifts are uniquely suited to, you know, our unique gifts really get to be expressed in the world. And that's where we you lose sense of time, and you're doing something you love, and it just you say, well, I can do this all day," and it, you know, it always feels good. And Gay Hendrix talks about the big leap being going out of the state of excellence and creating our life to be in that state of genius all the time, where we can, you know, or most of the time at least. Because what'll happen is we tip that, we get that upper limit of, wow, I'm in my state of genius, I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy myself, and it's feeling good, and then we go and screw it up, and flick ourselves back into the stuff we've sort of paid for and excellent at again. So there's this, and of course about upper limits. so we've got, yeah, come back to your question, we've got levels of comfort with how good life can get. So we have these little flick switches of self-sabotage to bring us back into the level of pain we're kind of used to. And um, I think, yeah, re- examining our belief statements around that, examining what our... Um, our subconscious mind may be absorbed about life and our beliefs before the age of seven or so. You know, they're, they're the keys to really getting the, the blocks out of the flow. You know, If you think of a drain pipe, it's like, well, it flows better if all the blockages are gone. And sometimes removing those things and re-examining our beliefs can, can allow for expansion and flow to happen. So it's, it's more about getting stuff out of the road more than putting anything in, is my belief.
2: It's, all right. <coughs> it's a bit like... Um, is a bit of a parallel with regenerative agriculture, and it's often those things you stop doing is where when when rubber hits the road, you know, mm. like I, you know, you might stop spraying chemical, you might stop focusing on things that are out of your control. You know, a lot of those, which is a really nice thing to know, isn't it? It's like, oh, I can actually improve things by doing less. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, you know?
0: absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, even the thinking around that, you know, if we uh, think about this sort of. We let go of the notion that this is how I've always done something or this is the only way to do it and let go of that. In the absence of it, in the, the vacuum that's created by that, we're left with curiosity and questioning. Well, in the absence of that, what can we do different? And that's what I find really exciting about Regen Ag because so, it invites this um, critical thought to come in and intuition to come in and, um, and it creates new possibilities as a result. So that's, that's an exciting aspect of it for me.
2: I want to get back to region ag, and take you back to um, your. <clears throat> you, well, what's your? You mentioned genius before. Had you got to your state of geniusness at the at the gym? Is that was that where your genius was unveiled, or was it Did it happen later on? Are hey, i, I you still I would, looking
0: for. I would love. It? <laughs> <laughs> Let me know when you find it for me.
2: Um, no, I think I, I think know. I think you've you've you're, you've found. Well, my sense is you've found it. You know,
0: it's a funny thing. It's, you know I, again. I'm just parlaying someone else's work with that, just to take no credit whatsoever for that whole genius thing. That's the that's Gay Hendrix, right? But that um, we often don't realise our own genius. It takes others to point it out for us, and that's a, a very pretty much universal, I think. Mm. Um, but I can reckon, I can report that my genius didn't lie in as a bodybuilder. You know, I was not. It was I was very dedicated, but I wasn't physically. Were you excellent? I, I was good at it. Yeah, I I, I was a. Well, Charlie, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I was a junior 1992 Mr. Australia <laughs> in, the, in the natural category. Awesome. I'm no doubt you've heard of me in that oh, I have got pictures.
2: <laughs> I had pictures of you on my fridge back in 1992. I, I, I figured
0: you might, yeah. Um, but so that, so yes, I well, achieved. I mean, that's it's, quite an achievement. It was. Well, for me, it was everything. It was like genuinely the, for me.
2: Especially the natural, the natural mm. category, because that's, yeah. I mean, that says a lot about you knowing who you are, mm. um, but also that's, that's, that's uh, I imagine that's a bit more of a slog. It's a lot more of a the, unna- the, un- the unnatural way.
0: <laughs> my approach in that space, as I said, I wasn't blessed with huge, great genetics. Um, certainly not whinging about it, but yeah, I wasn't. Not for bodybuilding, it's a lot of it's genetic. It really mm. is what you're gifted with. Um, but you know, without the you know the chemical aids that go with it, um, mm. I just thought, well, and compared to be fair, I was competing in natural competition, so everyone else tested and so on, but. What it meant for me was, well, the things I can control is I can control what I eat, control how hard I train, I can control my mind about how I visualize what happens. So all the controllable things, which meant I lived like a friggin' monk for you know, years, mm. right? Literally, I did. And I'd never cheated once on stuff. I never went, oh, I should just be eating this, but I'll have a chocolate bar instead, or I don't cheat on the yeah. diet. I never missed workouts. I never so I did all those things so I knew that Committed. I, if I was going to get on stage and came dead last, it would be fine because I did everything I possibly could. Mm. If I get on stage and win, it's because I did everything I possibly could.
2: You're mitigating yeah. against disappointment, I guess. In
0: yeah. yourself. and that so was just a personal journey. You know? And the other part of that, I would just as a you know as a another part of it was in powerlifting, which I, I did okay in as well. Just more again as a natural and um, for me, you know, being a powerlifter was a, a big leap because I wasn't again suited to it. But I managed to push some decent weights around um, in the end. And what I realised too, and again, some early lessons in life on this one, is that once you get under a, a bar with, say, my biggest squat ever was 260 kilos. Now, that's a squat with a bar on your back, dropping your ass to the ground, standing back up again, all right? Yeah, wow. Now, 260 kilos, to put in reference, is the size of a large, heavy Harley Davidson sort of, you know, soft tail sort of thing. It's a, it's a lot of weight.
2: And, and so, that's two, so that's like... Um uh, 8, 6, and 24. 600 pounds. That's, that's, that's 380 kilo. It's more than that. 380 kilo people. I mean, I'm a... I am do not I am now, but, you know, 80 kilos is not a, a small person. It's a lot of weight, mate. It is crushing. <coughs> like, the bar, the Olympic bends. bar
0: bends like a... Yeah, like a banana, and it's 6 six twenty 20-kilo plates either end of it. All right, so it's, you look at it, and it's it's intimidating to even look at. Mm. Now, getting under that and doing a squat for a little skinny bloke from Ipswich was kind of a big deal for me. Um... But what I recognized pretty early on, I was lucky enough to train with a mate of mine, Luke, who was a, a lot stronger than me, also a psychologist. And he used to play mind games with me. And he'd say, go outside and don't even look at the bar. Don't even pay any respect. Just go outside, suck yourself up, walk in, don't look at it, and walk in and start squatting. And invariably, he'd play around with the weights and put more on than I anticipated. <laughs> and So I recognized that the body is far more capable than we recognize mm. in it, and more we... Uh, can understand ourselves to be capable our brains will be the limitation more than the body will in a lot of cases yeah, true. so there's a great example there for me of what I could achieve mentally um, and and it's an interesting one here mate this, is, this has been my reflection I started developing myself physically and in, in the gym building a muscle and so on and then I kind of moved towards developing myself psychologically or mentally mm. and you know, positive thinking and all that kind of visualization.
2: While you were still, is this in, in relation to your bodybuilding? Yeah, it's part of it. <clears> sort of yeah, adding on, just adding on as another, another layer. Yeah. layer. Yeah.
0: Then after I had some fairly major business breakdowns and a bit of a bit of a you know window licking moment, if you like, where I really hit the wall. Um, later down the track, I woke up to my emotional development and realized there was another side of me that I had been really ignoring all my life. This is in my late thirties. Um, and that opened another realm of possibility and realized there was a whole emotional world there. And then finally, in the last number of years, it's been more tuned into a spiritual level of development. So sort of gone, I don't know if that makes sense, but you have know, physical, mental, emotional, and then um, spiritual. So that's started in the gym, and it's ended up here in, sitting under a fig tree talking to you.
2: It's a good point to make because <clears throat> I guess when you, you know, think about it and talk to people, is, you know, there's the mind, body, spirit. Yeah, you know, that is is like a generalized kind mm. of you know the the three pronged yeah. you know levels of, um of, yeah you know there's the physical and then there's the the mental and then there's the spiritual there's the you know but the emotional, I guess in a way, is kind of kind of pulls it together doesn't it because it's the it's it's the more expressive you know how do I express my spirituality or how do I express my mental state or how mm. do I you know how do I express to people my physical feeling, you know, mm. so maybe that's sort of, the emotional is as important and it's kind of has a different role, it's sort of the outward expression, is that a fair thing?
0: I, I think so. Look, for me personally, I can speak to that, I guess, is that I was, I was, uh, you know, not, I went to school and probably some of the year, Charlie, I wasn't brought up in an environment where it was encouraged to be emotional about anything, it was like, be positive, be strong, big boys don't cry, you know, all that kind of thing, um, so I tried to cling on to that for a long time mm. until... I just couldn't cling on any longer. So it almost needed me to to break before I could open up to another part of myself and give myself permission to have some more feelings. So you were clinging on to that for how many years? Oh, till my late 30s, mid-30s.
2: And was there a an, a, a, a catalyst for that?
0: Yeah, uh, to, to to let go of it, you mean? The yeah, just to, just to
2: go, oh, shit, I'm... I need yeah,
0: some. well, I just became... I, I recognised as part of me realized I could go and achieve whatever I wanted in my life, like powerlifting, 260 kilos, bodybuilding, business, whatever. I felt very capable, but I wasn't getting any happier. I was getting more unhappy. And I realized that I was really becoming a miserable bastard and, not, and, and I didn't want to do any more of it, but I didn't know, else, didn't know what else to do. So I, uh, I hit a point where it literally became a sort of physical exhaustion, Mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, and that played out in business and eventually became financial exhaustion. So I hit a wall financially. It, it, basically everything, you know, we, it burned up, exploded, yeah, so job. on, imploded, whatever you want to call it, and um, I walked away and with nothing left to lose, including... A very strong sense of my identity at the time which I thought was all about being this big muscly guy who owns the gym and blah 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 and drives a sports car you know typical full of bullshit sort of thing um that was stripped from me suddenly I'm nobody who am I now so the whole this 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 stripping away it was my identity was taken from me it wasn't I didn't give it up easily mate I have to say it wasn't like here you go I'll just try something new it needed what I've heard you talk about tension events. Mm. It needed me to be completely flawed, and and re, and there ready to be rebuilt in some way. And at that point, I ran, I was lucky enough to run into some some people who were involved with coaching, and I was then vulnerable enough to be open to it. Go okay, someone's going to have to help me here because I got nothing else. Can't rely on the old. Let's try something new.
2: Was that a slow burn to that point, or was there like a someone turn around to you one day and say? yeah you know, was it like a someone just cut you down you know i it was an internal thing or an external thing
0: uh, look i <coughs> people tried to point it out to me many times prior, but I was too big headed to listen mm. it took It took for me to have a personal implosion before I could like, and financial implosion.
2: the financial, financial or like the financial, physical yeah. mental
0: yeah you know you broke lost lost my life's business i had seventeen years in a business that was just everything I knew, so I went in at nineteen i was thirty six and I got out whatever that maths are on that, but it was um yeah and it was and I'm so grateful for it, so grateful that you know that part of me that that ignorant young man got to be um, humbled mm. so I could actually start growing because I wasn't, I wasn't learning I wasn't growing, and so opening up to that and being curious about what else is out there and not not hanging on to what I thought I was um, was a was ultimately a very, very big gift, and it very quickly allowed me interestingly um, to develop. Much deeper, beautiful relationships that met my wife straight after, literally about the same time. So she turned up, you know, within months of that happening. Mm. Um, actually, almost at the same time. Um, within 12 months of that, within 18 months, I'd made more money than I had in the last 17 years <laughs> in one, in, in, you know, in a year. And not that I was even trying that hard to do mm. it, but it just started flowing. And I think coming back to this idea of flow, it's almost. Because I wasn't tuning into how I honestly felt and I was trying to override all the time, and I wasn't prepared, you know, I, was, I just didn't have that sort of sense of myself in terms of what I was as an emotional bloke, um, which I have discovered I am a genuinely very sensitive emotional person. You know, I was trying to be everything but that. Mm. And that was a block. That was like sticking a big rock in, a, in a, um, a downpipe and going, here, see if you can get the water around that. And it just didn't. So nothing flowed from there.
1: For more information to assist your regenerative journey, come join Charlie and his guests around The Kitchen Table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnott.com.au forward slash thekitchentable and we look forward to sharing a yarn with you. Now let's get back to this week's episode.
2: What did Adam Gibson start doing? Like from a you know a friend or an observer, what 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 were the changes that that people would have seen in you? Or I guess there are internal changes. You know, was it that you woke up in the morning and thought something differently? Was it the food? Was it um, you know your habits? And then what would people have said? Oh Jesus! I think Adam? a lot of
0: them thought I would joined a cult.
2: <laughs> did you where, you suddenly...
0: that, did you, is that
2: where the the orange road thing started?
0: But, yeah, I think, like, you know, I did, I went on this relentless kind of personal development, went off the deep end, and um, and it was probably a bit over the top at the time, but I, I was really ready for it, and went and done a, did a lot of these, you know, pretty intense personal development workshops, and have done ever since.
2: Were, um, any, any that, um, you know, were highlights that, that you
0: okay.
2: might, might in, in some <laughs> way recommend to others? Um
0: Recommend to others, well, okay. sure, well, What what sure. What were
2: the ones that you did then? Yeah. not with Look, a probably the,
0: there, was a, there was a very good friend of mine, a real Bergen, who uh, I went to school with early on and she said to me for years, go and do this workshop called Landmark. And I, uh, it's just about, I know you've done this one too. So mm. um, Anyway, eventually after my sort of, at this point, I was so humbled, I thought, oh, okay, I'll give in, I'm going. And I just remember, without going into the detail of it, it really tapped me into... It was almost for me. It was like I remember the feeling genuinely. It was like I was standing on the edge of a cliff, looking over a void, going, "If I let go of who I think I am and 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 step into, if I follow what they're asking me to do, and I was sort of on the precipice of it. Mm. So if I let go of this, and it's going to be like falling into that void, not knowing where the hell I'm going to land, and like literally, it's like I'm going to give up everything I know about myself as an individual. And um, and at some point it just sort of happened. I flew in and it just. So there was a. It's. I know it sounds a bit vague and a bit weird, but um, that was a big one. And and giving up that sense of identity and that rigid sense of who I thought I was mm. just allowed for unfolding an exponential possibility as a result. So I'm forever grateful for that moment. And and for real, if you're out there listening, this is, you know, I'm still grateful for that for that push.
2: Mm. Mm. So she saw. She done the course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is often how the landmark works, isn't it? It's, it's a lot of word of mouth, really, isn't it? Yeah. Which you know, is kind of a good way to do it because it's you know you, you, it's sort of like um, it's referred and it's sort of obviously a, um, you know if someone feels that someone else might need it. It's you know that's kind of and that happened to me. I'd, have, I'd three people say in a in a period of one month you should go and do it. Mm. I went mm, something there's something here going on here. Yeah. You know,
0: it's a tough one because it's um you know I'm a we're at an age where that kind of stuff was seen as a bit, you know, it's a bit sissy, Pussy's trying to dunk, you know what I mean? It wasn't that, to me it was <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not going to go and sit there mean? listen <laughs> to this crap, you know, yeah. yeah. That's right. So there was a, there was a <clears throat> lot of me against it because that, you know, I still wanted to see myself as this big tough bloke who can run on the football field and lift weights and blah, blah, blah.
2: But the interesting thing is it takes a lot of courage to get to that point and actually step into that room and to spend the three or four days getting literally <laughs> shredded. Turn well, you, I mean, you shred yourself because it's you know it's it's your reaction, it's your your um, your you know your perspectives changing, and it's your willingness to um, to change. or will get to that point of just getting you know what I've got a choice: I can walk out of here, pretend this didn't happen, or I can actually go run with it hmm. and get to that edge. Yeah, and I, I'm
0: with you. It's, it was courage, and I think. Mm. What I recognize, and it's very obvious to me now, but and I see this in clients a lot too, is that courage is having the guts to look at that stuff and, and, and be vulnerable. Being If you actually don't feel courageous inside, we need a mask of going, oh, I'm too tough to talk about this crap. So I, I put my hand up, I was 100% like that. So yeah, the courage was actually going, you know what, I don't need a mask. I don't need a shield up. I don't need, mm. I don't need a suit of armor around me. I can just be here and you can take your shot at me, but doesn't matter I'm, I'm i'm going to stand no matter what you throw at me i know who i am i know my you know i know myself enough to know that you can't if i'm yeah there's a there's a courage in just knowing yourself and no, in in your entirety
2: um any other sort of memorable um, prompts that you were given you know nudges other other trips to the edge in that
0: time <laughs> um Look, I could, I'll give you a lot of them, but uh, I was a student of this stuff for a while. But I've got to give credit to a guy called Paul Paul Blackburn from Beyond Success at the time, who, through um, you know, invited me into his coaching world, um, excuse me, and I learnt a lot about how he operated as a coach in the coaching business. Excuse me, this was early on in the game before, you know, everyone's a business coach nowadays, and good on them too, but it was before business coaching was really a thing, mm. you know, it wasn't really a, a well-used term at all or understood. Um, so, I learned a lot from Paul, uh, both personally and professionally. Um, and then really, ever since, Charlie, I've worked out, you know, I reckon I've probably spent a couple hundred thousand on different personal <laughs> development stuff mm. over the years, you know.
2: Mm.
0: Um, I mean, was that you know, a good investment? Absolutely. You know, it's only because of that. And, I think go back to that landmark thing. What I, rec- what I recognized was I was in business and I was, ch- what I recognized is this. And this, this, I think would relate for a lot of farmers that I know. I was doing the same thing every year, getting the same result and trying to get a different result, and trying the same thing but with more effort to get a different result, which <laughs> is, you know, yeah. definition of stupidity, all that. Um, and I looked around and saw a lot of people who I actually listed, respected and saw the business journeys they were on. They were kicking goals and moving ahead and I was kind of spinning my wheels harder and harder, harder and harder. I thought, what's, the, what's going on with these people that I'm not doing? Mm. And I realized it was this other aspect, this landmark or personal development um, was what they were doing different. So that's what really convinced me. I thought, hang on, the people who are really doing stuff in the world that I admire are prepared to go and look at these things and do this. Made sense from that point forward,
2: and you were ready at that point,
0: yeah. And I, and also, I think I did need some. I, I needed some other blokes I looked up to to show me it was okay. Mm. If that makes sense, yeah. You know, no, I didn't want right. to. I didn't want yeah. to be sitting around with a, being the only bloke in a in a room full of, you know, middle aged ladies at the time. That was mm. just not what I was up for. So as a young man, yeah. I was like make sure there's some other guys here, and that that helped,
2: mm.
0: rightly or wrongly, but it did help.
2: And so um, there were internal changes, um, epiphanies, um, you know, coming to Jesus, as it were. <laughs> <clears throat> what what, what behaviours changed?
1: When, um, when you,
2: you know, where, where, what would people say about Adam Gibson? What was he doing back then? I
0: think I stopped talking and started listening to people. Started connecting genuinely with people. And that was a beautiful experience, actually. I could actually... You know, I'm still a good talker, don't get me wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> as you know, but I did actually start listening to people and deeply hearing them and connecting and listening. You know, it was just, it just filled me up to listen to people so deeply and, and, and uh, you know, just hold, everyone says it around Borrow, holding space with people. It sounds a bit wanky, but it's, it's actually the thing It's holding a bit of space where letting someone talk without having your answer prepared, ready to dive in and fix anything.
2: Well, in Landmark, I think they talk about that already listening, Oh no, already, already hearing or hey. something. You know, you, you were sort of, they were talking, you were going, oh, no, well, yeah. so, you already had the, the answer or the retort.
0: We should, we should get commissioned on this, <laughs> the
2: <to> Landmark. <okay>? <laughs> <laughs> I am, mate. I get, I get a cut. No, hey. I don't. Um, you know, it's interesting because it, I, um, I couldn't necessarily rattle off the guests that um, I have had on the show who have done Landmark, but there are a number of them. Um, and sometimes oh, I can't remember whether I knew if I remembered them, I knew before the interview, or we sort of got to that point. Um, but you know, it's interesting, you know, mm-hmm. I guess that, that, um, and some were farmers and some were not farmers, and, and certainly Landmark is not, uh, it's often mixed up with Landmark, the, you know, the, yeah, the, the other mob. Yeah. Um, Landmark Forum, I guess, is the, is the, um, is the official title for the one we're talking about, or well, one of them anyway. Um, so it's interesting how, you know, <clears throat> it has appeared on the in the regenerative journeys of many many people that that I know, and then a, a number of them who've have been guests. Yeah, so seems to be.
0: It's all like I think for blokes like me and probably you too, mate. There's this um, from what I know of you, that you know some of some of us need a light tap with a feather from the universe to remind us we're on the wrong path. Um, most of us ignore that. Then you get sort of a, a slap upside the head. Um, for me, I needed a truck to run over me to, to take notice, and that was what was required. Um, so mate. yeah, I think you know we all need different levels of uh, humbling. Um, of, for me, it was needed of, pretty strong. Of prodding along the yeah. track, and and I and I do say now I like to try and not not need that. You know, I try to, and it gave me the opportunity. You asked me what I, how it changed. I started tuning in enough to know where. Hang on, I'm feeling. I'm feeling a resistance here. Or there's a little feather tapping yeah. me across the shoulder. How can I interpret that and actually shift course or adjust for it? So I became far less I think being far less rigid in my thinking has given me a lot more happiness and also a lot more success. It's been far more um, I'm more open and curious about life and it's just it's such it's easier apart from mm. the else. It's softer yeah. and it's easier and, and you know what? Nothing's gone wrong as a result. Yeah, like all the shit I thought I had to control and hang on to like hell, mm. it just didn't need it
2: at all. And your your view of the world, how did that change? You just said you list, you were listening more than, than well, you changed maybe the proportion. My father's always said you got two ears and one mouth, you should use in that proportion mm. um, at least. <clears throat> what other what other sort of you know awarenesses or behaviours or you know you just said that you 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 your your sense of people mm. perhaps changed.
0: I, it, look, look, big answers to that, really, but I think a big one is um, the journey it really put me on personally, and I don't like claim to having achieved this by any stretch, but it was understanding of sort of that journey into um, elderhood. Is it, you know, with that, with it not so much about age, but just understanding myself as growing, a rite of passage. Rite of passage it. into yeah, you know, how, how do I turn up as the best version of myself um, as a man with you know, a few years under my belt now, fifty-one, and what does that look like? And am I am I going to be a you know a, a big stupid boy in fifty-one year old body, or am I going to be someone who embodies some knowledge and wisdom and some compassion? And you know, and i'm every day I try to lean into that, the latter, obviously, and, mm. and that's that's you know I feel like it's playing out in some nice ways at the moment, and it, and it comes with its, comes with its, inbuilt with its challenges. Mm. You know, that's a constant challenge, and the. So I, I try to I try to be open to continually growing. That's not the case every single moment of every day by any stretch. You ask my wife, and she'll give you a list of reasons that's <laughs> not the case. Um, but you know, as a, as a dad now, got three daughters and quite young like yours, and um, so <laughs> I've, I've got to i got to be an example for them. And the, and the other part, I think I do like this idea of you know tuning to that indigenous wisdom around seven generations. Is you know maybe I'm not living my life just for me. This is about not just for my kids, it's actually for what what are we leaving and what, what decisions are we making for generations that are yet to come. Mm. Um, and and that's what actually led me into this space now, into Regen Ag and into the food system. And, um, you know, I don't think there's any, that, that, that gets me out of bed in the morning and says, hey, you know, this is not actually about me. So why don't I get the hell over myself? You know, mm. <laughs> get over my insecurities and all the reasons I might not be able to do something and make the phone call, do the thing. Take the initiative.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? That you know, and it's something that, um, in terms of accountability, because this is we're talking about life accountability here in a way. It's you know, in the world of RCS, which I did some you know training with Resource Consulting Australia, um, you you won't often do it for yourself, but you will do it for mm. the ones you love, you know, yeah. children. Like this morning, I was thinking you know, I could have just had a cup of tea at five o'clock and. Got on emails, and I wasn't going to do some exercise. Mm. And I just, you know, I thought me having done li- doing a little bit more exercise, some exercise this morning, was going to put me in a better frame of mind. So when my kids get up, I'm going to be a little bit sharper, a little bit more mm. on point. And that's what I mean. If I hadn't had that thought, oh, or just had a cup of tea in mm. the day, you know what I mean. So that's mate, not a, not a dissimilar kind of motivation on a very very small scale. Yeah. Let's talk about um, your journey to into regenerative agriculture. Um, then, where? Um, so, motivation, so to speak. Legacy, children, family, mm. future. Yep. Um, I mean, you could have applied that that um, that resolve to other things. You could have gone. Mm. I'm going to. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, uh, focus on technology to improve the life span of people. I don't know, you know, but, mm. but you veered towards um, food health.
0: Yeah. Well, look, out, I got out of the gym business, Charlie, and, and it's relevant to this. So I ended up quickly applying. You know, within two years, I was a business coach with a, a bunch of natural health practitioners as clients. And, and at that point, um, natural health industry was pretty, uh, in,
2: uh, what's a word for it? You know, embryotic, embryotic, yeah. infantile, and not why, the right word. <laughs> maybe. maybe. Um, why? Why? Why that? Of, you know, the well, industry?
0: because look, I'd had seventeen years in the gym business, and it, I could want to point out, like in the gym business, there was um, gone from you know, in the late eighties, the gyms were pretty small, small fry, mm. to becoming a mainstream thing on every street corner. Right. We was at like one or two gyms in Brisbane when we started. By the time we finished there was one literally, you know, within anywhere you look within a K or and two there was big. more. They spent a lot of money
2: on those things, oh, didn't they? Yeah, so and we like, and we were key? the opposite.
0: We were yeah. we were like this grunty, you know, spit and sawdust kind of little yeah. old joint with no no capital behind it. You yeah. know, So so I learned a lot of very good lessons on how to be agile and survive and be smart and use our our weaknesses as as our strengths in, in business. So um and I learned a lot about selling and sales and the customer journey and how to look after people and how to. How, we had retention was amazing. What we did, we just you know we used to have people there for years and they were they were part of a they became part of something far more important than going to pump a few weights around. Mm. They actually felt like family. People turned up there culture. just because there was a culture. There was a yeah there was a sense of belonging to it, mm. uh, which I could talk about all day. But all those lessons, I. Learned, you know, so to speak, in the trenches, and just realised that in the natural health world, very similar industry insofar as it's personal service and the, about well-being and so on, they had nothing like that. They had almost at that point so little in the way of um, entrepreneurial insight or business thinking attached to what they were doing as a business.
2: Yeah, mate, said there.
0: All right. So, um, you know. The, the, the short story of that is I ended up putting those skills to use in that space you know, and and helping people in that space become better at business in order that they can then, if their business was more effective, they could help more patients, more people as as customers and patients.
2: Just on that one, that industry, you know, um, uh, those practitioners are passionate for what they're doing, um, you know, alternative, not not mainstream, mm-hmm. um, uh, I guess it makes sense. They are the creators, or they are the 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 the, the, the givers of, of, of um of health. Mm. You know, it's like a lot of I guess a lot of things. When, you know, a, a pa- person with a passion for something uh, is not necessarily a good manager of the business that is that that's going to be one hundred percent that kind of is yeah. the, the vehicle. You know, they don't know where the steering wheel is or what's on the dashboard or how yeah. much fuel to put in it. Yeah, but they know what kind of car they want. You know, yeah, They're, they
0: are <clears> they <throat> are almost uniformly just great people, wonderful love to help people and they're there because as you say they're thoroughly passionate mm. genuine genuine generally I should say at to the exclusion of their own well-being mm. and their own financial well-being and so on so most of them were there for passion first and then said you know after 20 years and it gone geez I'm exhausted all the time and I haven't got any money, got any money yeah. you know so that was the general paradigm not everyone but most so just bringing a bit of business acumen a bit of mindset into this game well hey, let's hey let's look at valuing yourself and start working a business model that doesn't require you to work 100 hours a week just to stay afloat and valuing your input in terms of what you do with patients, not by the hour, but by the outcome. Mm. So just flipping and asking some different questions. Like It's going back to the thing of being curious and being a little bit um, disruptive in my thinking. I just walked in and go, why do you do it that way? Why, why this and why not that? And why don't you charge double what you pay now for what you charge now? Mm. Those sort of questions... And within about five years, we developed a whole business and mindset model um, around the business of natural health, of mm. uh, which, I might add, there was nothing out there at all. Mm. There was just this sort of inherited system of we do it this way. So we had you know, a couple of thousand naturopaths and chiros and integrative doctors and um, uh, acupuncturists, people like that. Fabulous people. We had this great culture around it and so on. We brought this, this stickability. It's the horse having a chat <laughs> just in the background.
2: Here it comes. It's going it's to come down. Anyone on the vid, on the video? It's going to jump over this car here. There it is. Is it
0: Tucker time? Is it? I don't know. No, not really. There it is. Anyway. Classic. Uh, yeah, free range horses. <laughs> so in that industry, it managed to make a big difference. But what? And I loved it for the fact that it allowed me to help. You know, if I had say a thousand, say I help a hundred health practitioners to have a better a better impact in the world and be happier, better rewarded. Um, Those sort of people, you know, do you want want to go to a, say you want to go to a Cairo and your patient number 170 for that week and and hope you get a good treatment or do you want to go to someone who's fresh and healthy, Mm. full of vigour and going to give you 100% of themselves, Yeah, yeah. I know what I wanted, right? So from that perspective, it made sense and we aligned purpose with income and all these things all sort of stacked up. There's really value versus volume is a big component of it started just with this idea of let's, let's deconstruct what was there and start with something new. Not necessarily easy to get mm. that one across, but it worked. And it proved itself out. Ended up with a whole new paradigm in health. Every single practi- practitioner, though, had thousands of patients. Mm. And they typically were the sort of practitioners that um, were treating people that had got spat out the back end of the mainstream health system... Mm. With a chronic problem or something that they couldn't, um, it's yeah, are, that's
2: a, So you gob
0: there. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so they, they were people that you know had it run out of other options,
2: mm.
0: and um, so our health practitioners were looking after these people. And um, I, don't know if I was going to go go with that one, but the.
2: Yeah, anyway, <laughs> that, that, was
0: a, that was a really good point oh, yeah. I was going to make, but it's yeah. gone. <laughs> I'll,
2: bug it, I'll bug it up with the adjustment of the mic there. Um, where were we going?
0: Well, look, this uh, this is where I was going with it. Yeah. So, so all these practitioners, the fundamental thing, so I got to secondhand, got to hear a lot of these patient stories, and what I recognised right. pretty quickly was 99% of it kept coming back to diet first, right? Yeah. So yeah. most chronic yeah. illness and most... You know, mystery illnesses, ongoing, persistent illnesses, cancers, and all these sort of things, you know, and I'm not going to give diagnosis or say stuff mm. here, obviously, because it's not my place. But, the, you know... There's a theme. The theme was go mm. clean your food up. Go clean... You know, there's a whole oh. branch of medicine called nutritional environmental medicine yeah. in, in mainstream medicine now. Yep. Um And it's like, well, go clean up your nutrition... And clean up the environment around you. In other words, get rid of all the toxins out of your system and out of your out of your environment. Internal the, and in, external. internal and external. You know, yeah, the, right. Get the amalgam out of your teeth and get the mm. Wi-Fi out of your head and get the um you know the fluoride out of your water. Then you go and get the heavy metals out of your body and do a detox and, and then go and eat don't don't eat food that's got frigging pesticide all over yeah. it and so on. Yeah. Um and eat organic, eat clean. And suddenly that would be the fundamental shift for nearly everyone. From which they would then stack all these other treatment modalities on top.
2: So it almost didn't matter that one was a Cairo or a, one was no. a um, naturopath or one was a this. There was the, you know, all the patients yeah. that they had. Well, there was there was a theme, Majority, know, regardless yeah. of the of the of the um, the modality.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, people come in with a with a, with a sore back, they get <coughs> fixed and yeah. sent off. They're of course, there's all the acute the carrot, stuff, but, but yeah. But if you got a you know any kind of chronic stuff, generally came down to that as a as a general thing. Mm. And so that led me to get to the point, again, I'd sort of come back to that idea I get I get bored easy sometimes and, and I, was lose, I was starting to feel repetitive what I was doing and I felt I'd made a bit of contribution to that space. So I was looking for the next challenge and, um, and I realised that that's, this is, the food system is inherently not served. You know, mm. you can say to a patient, go and eat good quality food. I'll give you a good story You like this one. There was one guy in the gym years ago. He was training, we're trying to train him up for a bodybuilding comp. And he wasn't, he was, he was a loveliest bloke in the world, but he wasn't the sharpest tack. That's, you know, mm. he, he wasn't, he was a little, probably a few, a little bit behind the eight ball, let's yeah. say, right? Um, but he was an adult, lovely bloke, big, strong guy, wasn't that bright. And we said, mate, what you got to eat to get in shape here is eat chicken, chi- you know, eat chicken and then eat vegetables and salad. Mm-hmm. Back to Basically. He said, Okay. And then went off and he said, I'll do that and I'll do it religiously. And we checked every day. Mate, you're doing this. You eat your Mm -hmm. veggies and chicken, your salad and chicken. Yes, 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 I am. Anyway, week after week, he kept coming in. He's getting bigger. He's getting fatter. (laughs) All right. I (laughs) think
2: I I know where he's getting his salad and (laughs) chicken. (laughs) Well,
0: after about four weeks, he gained 10 kilos. And we said, tell me what you're actually eating. (laughs) And he said, well. I do as you say. I go straight past KFC and (laughs) I buy a bucket of chicken and a coleslaw and I eat that three times a day. So the point is, um,
2: yeah, I was going to my cousin was, what's good quality food? Yeah, Yeah.
0: but I I guess the point of this is, you know, is that the food system as most of us listening to this know that it's just not good quality food. Even if you're doing the best you can out there, often it's inferior, Mm. and. You know, it's lacking in nutrients. It's it's got crap all over it half the time, and it's it's old. It hasn't you know? It's been on the shelf too long, or whatever, or it's been in the truck too long, etc. So we're we're a long way away from a good fresh food source. Even those of us who are completely switched on to trying to do the right thing, and there's lots smarter people than me who would back that up because of Zach Bush and so on in the US. Um, so that led me to this space and saying, right, let's go and have a play in the food system and see what impact can be made there and see if we can make some fundamental shifts. Because my belief around this, and you know, I guess it happened to on the point coming back to this property I'm on now, Charlie, and having young kids and babies, um, how lucky I felt and felt you know, genuinely grat- genuine gratitude for the ability to give my kids fresh quality produce every day. And grow food here and get it from the local markets, and mm. we're just blessed in this space to be able to do that. And then realizing how many kids don't get that, just as their daily, their daily bread, so to speak, their daily food is just garbage, mm. because that's all there is, or that's all the parents know about, or that's all that's more often than not, that's all that's on offer, it's all that's available. So there's a very in, in, integral part of me wanted to tap into
2: make a shift on this front, um, and and, and kids yeah. can't. <clears throat> this is the interesting thing when you say you know it's all that was available is it is it a matter of i mean it's all available to the kids it's what's available in the fridge because the kids aren't going and doing the shopping mm. you know and there's and there's what's available to the parents but it's more in my view it's more about you know what's what it's not so much what's available it's what they actually go looking for it's what they go seeking because You know, we know we're in Bottom Bay. (coughs) There's trust boxes everywhere. There's farmer's markets. We are blessed with the whole Mm. range and there's land that, you know, people can grow food on. In some areas, there isn't necessarily the abundance of fresh food right next door, you know, but Mm. there's still supermarkets and places they can get it, which is um, where you can absolutely source it. But it's more about um, they don't know know what they don't know. You know, they don't know, Mm. they haven't even... Had that epiphany you had, yeah. You know about what is what is what is good. Someone goes, you know, what is good fresh food. I'm sure that that plays out. They mm. see, you know, eat chicken and, and, and lots of salad. Yeah. I reckon that would that story would be across this nation.
0: I think so. Yeah. And and look, you know, and especially if you're low income families, I think you know, and I've, I I know what that feels like at times. It's we've had ups and downs, and I know what it's like to feel stretched mm. uh, financially. And if you you know if you got ten bucks to feed your family that night, and it's a it's a choice between a you know head of organic broccoli or that you know won't even make a meal Mm. or you know 10 packets of 10 minute noodles you kind of know what you got to do you know so there's there's that too so um, there's an inherent injustice there which my my view and it's an idealist my ideal it's not a Mm. purely an ideal is that every single person every single kid should be eating fresh organic food every single meal as as you know i know you don't disagree with that one Mm. um because so that's that's where i work from i guess is in that position I don't and I so I look at coming to the region asking questions for as a consumer yeah and as a and as a passionate Curious. consumer yeah mm. and that's about the time I, I met
2: you yep. I think and yep. um, that was probably um what was that It'd be three it four years ago maybe might have been three yeah. and a half
0: four years ago yep. yeah um and I you know come in asking questions around the organic space and Got to meet you and then got to meet, through you, got to meet Charlie Massey and that was, read his book and thought, okay, what's this regen ag thing? I didn't even know what Had the hell it heard,
2: was. You, I mean, I guess you'd heard of ag- organic farming and that there was organic produce in shops. I knew about organics.
0: <coughs> very, mm. I knew that well because I was inside, i have been inside the health and health and wellness space and organic, organics and the vitamin industry all kind of pretty yeah. well aligned. Um. But I'd never heard of regenerative, I heard of sustainable and couldn't even say it at the time. Regenerative. <laughs> it's still it's still a, yeah. a mouthful. Yeah. Um so I just but what I saw coming into it again, excuse me, with really fresh eyes and a and a curiosity mm. was it's it's very i in my view, very, very similar to what I went into the fitness industry as as is um, as you said, embryotic or you know what 's an immature type industry yeah. it 's very early yeah, days is, yeah. um, and then seeing how the industry, how we rode out the fitness industry growth and seeing what made that work, and when the big money came in, the fitness first starting opening up mm. that kind of thing, so I saw the parallels there and I saw the early stage regen was at, and more specifically I saw it in the natural health world how um, natural health when I moved into it was still you know it still is to a large degree a fairly small Fairly divided. There's lots of little camps. Everyone's got their own ideas about what's right. There's no kind of big unifying body. Mm. There's certainly no big money behind it. You know, it's it was early days, and it's getting bigger and it's growing, and it's now actually one of the fast. It's a you know multi-trillion-dollar industry worldwide. or well, the the wellness industry generally. Um, and I just saw Regen Ag. I thought, wow, this is the same scenario playing out. Here's a bunch of great ideas, but they're kind of divided. They're small. There's no real cohesive business model around any of it. Mm. That was a big gap for me. I thought, wow, there's no one's really talking to the business of this in any sensible way. Um, And I managed to sit down and ask yourself, and I still remember sitting at the farm here in Byron with you and Charlie Massey going, why don't you have this in it? What about that in it? Where's Mm. the business model? And they went, both of you went, no, don't have that, don't have that, don't have this, don't have that. It
2: was still very, um, not embryonic itself, but I guess the there was no collective thinking uh, or, or organisation, organisational no. sort of structure around it. It was um, it was farmers um, farming yeah. differently, doing their thing, yeah. selling their products. Some marketing well, some not marketing well. You know, um, but it was again probably a bit like the your your, your bunch of. Um, there's a bunch uh, of naturopaths, naturopaths kind of thing. going. Yeah. Oh, we're just really good and passionate at what we're doing. Hundred percent. And we're not sort of we're not looking at the the business model. We're not looking at the value add. We're not looking at the how can we market this better and sort exactly. of you know really ramp ramp this up.
0: Yeah. How do we organise? And you know, well, yeah. they weren't looking at it yeah. as,
2: a, as a potential for an industry or a movement or a or a you know like a you know uh, uh, those farmers moving moving together in some. Um, sort of a collaborative way.
0: So I think all the focus is on the techniques on the land. Yeah, yeah you know, and with the <clears> animals and the land and <throat> how we grow stuff, and, all, and which is great. Like you know, it's like how within do we do that within better? the
2: boundaries of their farms?
0: Yeah. yeah, and and that's awesome. So you know, um, but it but and it that's and look, I think that's great because that's their are genius is go do that. But it needed some additional players, in there I could see that, in my view anyway, that um, could add. Some innovation and business acumen, and you know, how do we mm. how do we grow this as a, a, a as a thing beyond you know just a just a few bunch of farmers with some bloody good ideas, and get them from um, let that passion be expressed on a wider platform.
2: Mm. So how has that played out now? How, tell us about your <clears throat> the role you've sort of I guess created for yourself, or the the, the journey into regenerative ag that you've you've um, you've been on for a little while now. Well. I'd Mate, this was, is a time for I self-promotion. Probably,
0: probably spent the first two years trying to figure that out, going clearly broke, figuring it out. So I must thank you for that. Thanks uh, <laughs> <laughs> for not For not giving you all the answers. I had them. I, just them and
2: I said, this was another opportunity for Adam to grow.
0: I thought, this is, I'll Great. figure this out. Three months, I'll, I'll take a pay hit. And I, I actually got out of my other business and thought, three months, I'll give myself a launching pad to get into this, will be sweet. Yeah, well, I'll, get, and, I'll, and I'll get on it. And two, three years later, I was still going, yeah, this is pretty, but anyway. Um, but look, it's, <laughs> that's that's thankfully has turned around now, you know, that has, and um, it found a sweet spot. But it, initially, it was, we got into the innovation space and started running sort of startup innovation competitions and coaching around new ideas that would further, to, to fill, new ideas to fill these gaps in regen. Um, you know, like, so we had all these startups in there, and they had some good ideas, and you know a few flew and some were good. Yeah. Um, but then I think what I recognized pretty quickly too is you know ag tech's kind of a big space now. there's over 100 million 100 billion a year yeah. goes into it in the U.S every year now, um, trying to find the next drone or the next you know device that's going to change the world. We didn't want to compete against that necessarily, and I think what I loved about regen as a movement was the answer's already there. It doesn't really need any new ideas necessarily, you know, like it wasn't really the problem. The problem was how do we move this as a movement and get, Mm. so business development in the space I thought was a good place to play and that's really what we've been focusing on now is developing businesses or business ideas that can shift the needle towards Mm. the transition, towards the broader transition.
2: Which was you applying your previous skills. Absolutely. Different yeah. industry. Yeah. I mean not a not not non non related industry, you know, mm. but, but um you cut your teeth on the health industry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you applied your skills to this one.
0: Yeah. So it's you know, I've got a skill set about able to bring people together, connecting ideas and people. I'm a I'm a decent salesman when I need to be, I can spruik I can spruok mm. ideas and sort of communicate ideas well. And um and see the potential in the business and bring the people and fill the gaps and, you know, create a tiger team, we call it, around the business and help that business to fly based on. Mm. Yeah, so it's a coaching model mm. and it's an entrepreneurial coaching model, but it's it's applying entrepreneurial thinking to the space to fill gaps.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so that's a, that's in effect what we're doing. We've got, uh, you know, that's, that's taken place across about six or eight different projects and platforms at the moment, um, which is kind of exciting. There's a lot of variety there, which suits me. Um, the the whole thing for me personally, and again, is to play whatever part I can in seeing the transition happen towards a regenerative food system. And I don't say regen ag; I say regenerative food system, Mm. because that's what important. That's important to me. You know, I see grass-fed beef, you know, organic grains, fresh organic vegetables. On that's that's what we all deserve and need. And that, interestingly, in the last, you know, since this whole COVID lockdown and everything that's happening in the world and then crazy stuff that's going on um it's only furthered that i'm sure you've seen it too but it's, mm-hmm. it's the the reliance and the real the fragility that was built into our food system prior has become exposed very quickly so um the, the enthusiasm in this space to get into it and to be active in it from an investor's point of view and it's just huge people see that we need we need access to good quality food. And we need to have some level of control over that rather than be dependent on Coles, or someone delivering it to us, not knowing where it comes from.
2: And next week on the Regenerative Journey, we'll be listening to Adam Gibson again in part two of his fascinating chat with businessman Jim Junkie, regenerative farming, uh, farming mentor, uh, and um, an all round good guy. Next week on The Regenerative Journey, Adam Gibson, Part 2.
1: This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnott.com.au.